Hey everybody, welcome to the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about the delicious, certified, gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnstown, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle, or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. Off the high screen, Dorian kicked to the corner, Feirano for three, it's good with the foul! And back to throw is the quarterback, and Hayward is sacked by Joey Porter. Page takes it in, scores, J.D. Or Stevens lets it go, and there's your touchdown. Michael Gallup. Got it down low. Hornung. Dump! And here come the students. Leading by 10. Here's Van Pelt. He's at the 5. Touchdown, Colorado State. Monday, which means it's time for another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. As always, I am your host, Justin Michael, and we are going to we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Saw on Twitter that the Barstool CSU account basically tweeted like at, at Jim McElwain that they want him to come back and be the head coach of the CSU Rams and I just thought it could be an interesting topic to kind of go over. We can kind of just talk about the Jim McElwain era as a whole, the ups, the downs, you know, why it was significant, all that, all that sort of thing. Also, just talk about, you know, whether I think that there's a possibility where McElwain could ever return to CSU. We'll address that uh, as well. So all kinds of stuff to talk about with this topic. Uh, certainly interesting one to think about. I mean, it doesn't really matter at the moment. He's at Central Michigan University, and CSU still has Mike Bobo as their head coach. So, you know, at this point in time, this is really all just for speculation. It's all just for fun. But I figured, hey, might as well go back and just kind of talk about the Jim McElwain era. I do think I have somewhat of a unique perspective. Uh, I actually worked on the staff for Jim McElwain, not as anything important. This isn't, you know, an opportunity for like me to toot my horn or anything like that. But I was an assistant to Tom Ellers, the director of football operations uh, for about, you know, 18 months during the Jim McElwain era. So, you know, I did know him. I saw him most days. Uh, It's not like we were BFF or anything like that, but he actually called me 
Peyton for a while, which had to do with me wearing a Peyton Manning jersey one time. Uh, but for the vast majority of the time that he was at CSU, he knew me as Tula, which, yeah, I'm sure you could guess it was because I wore a Troy Tulowitzki jersey. Now, it's something that I kind of think of fondly. You know, at the time, I really just thought it was cool that a Division One coach even knew who I was remotely, even if he didn't know my actual name, the fact that he knew that's who I was. You know, it was it was a cool thing to me. He was always good to me in the office. Big part of it was just that I wasn't that important, so he really didn't have any reason to not be nice to me. Uh, I know, like, giving me the the nickname was more about the fact that he didn't need to know my name, and that was just easier. I mean, like I said, I was just a lowly intern for the DFO. It's not something that I'm like, I took personally or anything like that. Like, I don't care that Jim McElwain didn't actually know my real name. He didn't know hardly anyone's name, to be honest. That was a big thing with McElwain. He gave a lot of people nicknames, which part of, I think, was just the fact that he didn't really care to put the time in to to remember people's real names. And I'm not even saying that as like a dig at him or necessarily, I don't think it matters a whole lot, but that is a big difference between him and Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo, really, I mean, he knows everyone that's around from the media to the people on his own staff. So I think he's probably a little bit more personal and personable with his staff. But the reason that I bring up the McElwain stuff is just, I think it's fair that I bring it up because if I'm going to talk about the entire process of him leaving and and the impact, I think I should just recognize that I was on that staff. So obviously I was bummed when he left. I mean, it's been a really long time. I think I can look and discuss the situation rationally. I don't think my judgment is super clouded or anything like that. But I mean, hey, for the sake of transparency and fairness, I was on that staff. So obviously I, I did take it personally when he left back then. You know, it it did bother me. I I think rationally, I knew that it was a big opportunity with Florida. Wouldn't expect him to turn it down, but it stung. I mean, just like anyone, I was excited for the future of CSU football at that time. It felt like the Rams were really on the verge of something, and, you know, then he leaves, and it really wasn't about the fact that he left. I mean, Tim Miles left for Nebraska after CSU basketball started to have some success, and that certainly stung, but Tim Miles was so gracious in the way that he left that I think a lot of Ram fans were really just rooting for Tim Miles to succeed in Lincoln. I don't think there were a lot of ill feelings for him, at least from the the CSU fans' side, but with Jim McElwain, it just it really felt like he left kind of with both middle fingers in the air, didn't really thank a whole lot of people that helped him, you know, have all that success, didn't really bring any of the staff with him, just, I don't know, just kind of felt like he was like, yeah, I'm great. Had all this success. Screw you guys. I don't need you. I'm going to go have all this success at Florida. And I think to an extent, that same kind of attitude is what rubbed people the wrong way down in Gainesville too. And he ultimately went to back-to-back SEC championships, but got fired because really people just didn't like him very much. And I think that's kind of Jim McElwain in a nutshell. Uh, he is a good football coach. He's successful, certainly an offensive mastermind and all that but he's not a very genuine person I don't think he has a lot of genuine relationships with people and in the end that's really come back to to bite him but 
you know, I just kind of want to go over the Jim McElwain era as a whole uh, and talk about it. So let's kind of dive into it. In three seasons, CSU goes 22-17 and 17 overall, so really not a ton of success, only five games above 500 in total. Part of that, you know, they finished eight games below 500 in his first season, so they had a, a big uphill climb after that, but ultimately had two bowl appearances in those three seasons, made the New Mexico Bowl in 2013, made the Las Vegas Bowl in 2014, I think ultimately what earns Jim McElwain a lot of respect from the CSU fans that do love him and still support him to this day is just the fact that he was able to get his team up for a lot of big games. There were a lot of big wins in the McElwain era, era, particularly, you know, he went two and one against CU. That's obviously going to buy him quite a bit of goodwill with the fans. When you beat the buffs twice in three years, that's, it's just going to get everybody pumped. And it certainly did at the time. I mean, that 2014 win the second in three years I just remember thinking like oh man like this team could be on the verge of something that was awesome Uh, he also had multiple wins over Air Force Wyoming uh, played Boise State competitive in two of three games had the upset win at Boston College so all kinds of exciting moments but we'll go over those more uh, when we look at each season but uh, let's, let's talk about it from the start McElwain comes in after Steve Fairchild. In 2011, under Fairchild, the Rams went 3-9. and nine. Uh, Fairchild gets fired on December 4th, 2011, one day after CSU loses to Wyoming at home. Uh, CSU actually started 3-1 and one that year, ended up losing eight straight, and that proved to be the end of the Steve Fairchild era. You know, at CSU, certainly a bummer. I think when you look back at Steve Fairchild, he's a guy that obviously had great passion for CSU ultimately did recruit a lot of talented players just really wasn't able to to put it all together I think he definitely had a keen eye for talent uh, but didn't necessarily connect all that great with a lot of his players and really just didn't quite develop them but McElwain was able to come in and, and take over with a lot of talent a lot of players that would actually ultimately go on to the NFL and just like have a lot of success and McElwain definitely does deserve credit for that it's not easy to come in and get a group of players that you didn't recruit to buy in uh but also I mean it it helps to have players that are good and have you know potential even though they necessarily hadn't showed it a whole lot under Fairchild a lot of those guys you know I'm just Crockett Gilmore uh Weston Richburg for example Shaquille Barrett a lot of these guys they had the talent, they just needed to put to get put it together, and McElwain was able to do so. Uh, that 2012 season, CSU goes 4-8. and eight. In that year, you, you see some highs and you see some lows. I mean, 4-8, and eight, not great. Scored 21.2 points per game, give up 30.2 points per game. Uh, so the offense definitely was not consistent enough. But like I said, CSU did beat CU in that first year. Uh, September 1st, 2012, first game of the Jim McElwain era. The Rams beat the Buffs at Mile High. I actually went to this game. Uh, I was in high school at the time, went with my aunt, who's a she graduated from CU, so her tickets were definitely firmly in the CU section, but I went wearing you know all green, sat in the Buffs section, got to see the Rams win in Denver. 
Garrett Grayson threw a couple touchdowns in that game. Jared Roberts made three field goals. Uh, Really just an exciting win. The fact that he was able to do it in game one, definitely a big deal. I think that makes it even more frustrating for the people that are anti-Bobo because he's had five cracks at that CU game and still hasn't been able to win. And Jim McElwain was able to, to do so on his first chance and ultimately two out of three times. I would say... You know, you got to remember that that team also lost six straight. After that, they lost to North Dakota State at home. That loss is one of the most painful from that year, certainly of the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Just really embarrassing to lose that game at home. Uh, also lost by 20 to San Jose State on the road. So, you know, it, it, it there were some really strong, there was a lot of excitement, I should say, after that win over CU, but it definitely still was a pretty long season. Uh, the Rams were able to go 3-2 and two in the final five games. They beat Hawaii, UNLV, and New Mexico during that time. Uh, kind of start to set the stage for 2013, or at least what we thought would be a pretty good team in 2013, and they were, uh, but they did sputter out of the gate. They they went 8-6 and six that year, scored 36.2 points per game, only gave up 29.8 this was actually my first season on the McIlwain staff. Uh, if you remember, though, the Rams, they started slow. They lost to CU 41-27 in Denver. It was a really competitive game, but had some turnovers, uh, costly penalties, ended up losing that one. And then after that, they went on the road and lost to Tulsa 30-27. to Not a really good Tulsa team. That's a game where I think most times CSU would have they would have won that game. It's it's one where I think a lot of those players wishes they could have had it back. But starting 0-2, definitely not not great. The Rams then beat Cal Poly at home. And then they go down to Tuscaloosa and they fall 31-6 to number one Alabama. But in this game, CSU was pretty competitive. I mean, it's weird to say that in a game where you lose that by that much and you fall to one and three on the season, but really Garrett Grayson looked good all night. He was able to make some some throws in tight windows, and I think it was just a big confidence booster for him, particularly after struggling a little bit, you know, in that Tulsa game and a little bit in the in the CU game as well. Shaq Barrett was obviously a stud in this game. I think that's when CSU fans look back to that first trip to Alabama. That's something that stands out. Shaq had one and a half sacks in that game, and he just generally looked unblockable for most of the night. Uh, just looked like the Shaq Barrett that we've all come to to know and expect at this point. I mean, he's tearing it up in the NFL for the Buccaneers, played won a Super Bowl ring with the Broncos. So we've all known that Shaq Barrett is a stud for a long time. Great to see him doing so in the league and it's fun to think about that game at Tuscaloosa and how it was kind of maybe the first sign of what was to come and how good he really could be. I think the real breakout game for him as as far as the national level goes was certainly the bowl game against Washington State where he stripped, you know, the Cougars on back-to-back plays and really took matters into his own hands and helped the Rams win one of the more exciting games and probably in program history, but definitely in the last 25, 30 years. Uh, but yeah, this season you start slow, you start 0-2, but after that Tuscaloosa game, I kind of 
view that game as the the beginning of the the real success for CSU under Jim McElwain. They came out of this game with a new sense of confidence. I remember talking to some of the players after it and them just being like, we just kind of realized like they're they're not that different than us. I mean, we can hang with these guys. They they do what we do and they're they're not that impressive. So I I always look back at that game fondly. The the people that have been following me for a long time know that I am an Alabama football fan. Uh, I've followed CSU and Alabama for all of my life. So those two games against Alabama, obviously, you know, big in in my heart and my memory because I they were just such big op- big nights for me, and I was excited for them. So Rams ultimately go seven and three down the stretch. After that game, they have to play an extra game that season because of Hawaii. A um, couple of key wins. They they go to Laramie. In October and beat Wyoming by 30. Capri Bibbs had three touchdowns in the 52-22 win. There really wasn't anything that CSU didn't do well in that game. Rashard Higgins, Garrett Grayson, you know, Crockett Kilmore, uh, Gilmore, Kevin Cartwright, Donnell Alexander, Joe Hansley, all those dudes showed up. A really big win in Laramie, just a huge momentum game and one that really just got fans excited about the future of the program. One month after that, CSU beats Air Force in the season finale. Uh, it secures bowl eligibility for the Rams. As I said, they had to play an extra game that year because of the Hawaii game. They Another three-touchdown game from Capri Bibbs. Probably the most dominant win over Air Force in the last 15 years. And, you know, any win that guarantees your bowl eligible, obviously significant. After that, the Rams face Washington State in the New Mexico Bowl, which we talked about briefly when talking about Shaq Barrett. One of the most exciting games in CSU Rams history. Certainly one of the the moments that stands out most to me. CSU down by three touchdowns at one point. Really looked like the Mike Leach-led Cougars were just going to beat down the Rams and kind of hand them some humble pie, kind of what happened against Utah a year after. But CSU ultimately came storming back. They're down 35-13, but from the 248 mark in the second quarter, the Rams outscored Washington State 35-10. Uh, just so many great moments in this game. Big-time plays all over the field uh, from both sides of the football. Uh, you have Don Alexander convert the two-point conversion where he runs and dives and holds the football out over the pylon. Originally called unsuccessful and then they have to review it I still get annoyed when I think about that because the sideline judge was right there I don't know how he missed that in the first place but thank goodness for replay because it it kept it just kept CSU in the game they ultimately forced another foot fumble on a kickoff shortly after and kicked a game-winning field goal in regulation didn't even have to go to overtime but the fact that they were able to tie it on that two-point conversion made it possible in the first place and just everything about that game was so exciting it was such a great time to be a CSU fan. And that that excitement, obviously, it went over to the 2014 season. Uh, I will mention that the 2013 loss to Boise State, in my opinion, uh, that one stung almost as much as the collapse in the state pride game. That one definitely will always be the, the biggest, the, just the biggest Ugh, game when you think about the CSU Boise State rivalry. Rams have never beaten Boise State, but they've had a couple of decent opportunities. In that 2013 game, CSU jumped out to a 10 0 lead. 
the reason this game kind of stands out to me, I should mention more. It's just like on a personal level. I was a freshman at the time and I just remember like one, I snuck in so much beer into the stadium. This was pre-security. They didn't even really pat us down at the time. Like me and my roommates would bring an entire six pack each of beer right into Hughes Stadium and it was like not a problem at all going to the bathroom which is gross I know and chug the beers uh but yeah so that that's what I remember about this game the Rams they jump out to a 10-0 lead I'm feeling big cocky in the stands I've had a couple of beers and then uh Boise State outscores CSU 42 to 7 over the next two really just two quarters the second and third quarter they just absolutely beat the hell out of CSU uh, the Rams would add two rushing touchdowns from from Capri in the fourth, but it was too late at that point. Broncos win 42-30. to 30. I just remember being cold and, and drunk and sad. So I'm sure CSU fans have plenty of stories that would match, match my experience at that game. Uh, moving on to the 2014 season, obviously the big one. Rams go 10-3, score 33.9 points per game make the top 25. Uh, they start the year with a 31-17 victory over CU. I think of that game as the D-Heart game. We talked about that one before the showdown. A lot of fun. Probably the most fun I've had, at least in a showdown. It was definitely the most fun I had as a student from that perspective. Although I did get a, a minor in possession of alcohol ticket that day. Did get an underage drinking ticket from a, from a undercover cop. So that was a disappointing that was a disappointing day in that regard, but a lot of fun when CSU won on the field. After that, the Rams lose to Boise State in week two. Uh, the score was close, but it really wasn't as close as it indicated. But, you know, after that, the Rams, they won 10 straight. All kinds of excitement. You have the homecoming upset. I don't even remember if it was an upset, but homecoming win over Utah State with the students storm the field. You have the win over Boston College on the road where Garrett Grayson throws the game-winning touchdown to Charles Lovett. I don't know. That might be up there along with Washington State for just the greatest moments for CSU in the last you know, 20, 30 years. The Arkansas win was cool too, but that Arkansas team sucked and CSU didn't accomplish a whole lot that year. And I just think relevancy in the entire season, those 2014 wins were bigger. So much fun that 2014 year. You had, you know, the first sellouts at Hughes Stadium in years and you have all kinds of excitement. Everybody thinks that the Rams might win the league. And then it all comes down to that Air Force game in the regular season finale and CSU loses 27-24. Uh, this is a game that, I'm not going to lie, of all, the, of all the CSU losses all time, this might be number one for me in terms of just sheer agony. I got up with my family. We drove eight or nine hours from western Kansas where we had spent Thanksgiving with our family to get to this afternoon game against Air Force in Colorado Springs. So we get up. At the butt crack of dawn that morning and drive all the way from Kansas straight to the stadium to get to this game. Uh, me, my mom, my dad, my brother, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle. There's like eight of us that make this trek all the way from Kansas 
to the Springs to catch the CSU Air Force game. And it was a great game. It was a, it was a phenomenal atmosphere. You had a sellout crowd with, oh, you know, it was probably close to 50-50 split. I think there were probably slightly more CSU fans, actually. ton of Rams fans that traveled for this. Just a really awesome college football atmosphere. You know, you had Air Force fans on one side, CSU fans on one side. I'm sure it looked really cool on TV. Um, but just a really hard-fought competitive game from the start. CSU jumped out to a 10-7 lead. Air Force responds with 17 unanswered. After that, the Rams come responding back with 14 of their own. Grayson throws a 76-yard touchdown to Xavier Williams, one of the greatest what-ifs in CSU football history. Dude had so much talent, but just wasn't able to make it work with some personal reasons. Later, Grayson threw another touchdown to Rashard Higgins, his third of the day. Uh, Grayson's third passing touchdown of the day, Higgins' second receiving he went off all day. One of the the prototypical Richard Higgins days, one of the best of his career. Uh, with the game tied at 24, though, CSU began a drive at their own 16-yard line. Uh, there's like 4.50 left on the clock. The Rams, Rams end up driving, eating up most of the clock, but it's fourth and two with 44 seconds left in regulation. Uh, the Rams have the football at Air Force's 42-yard line. You could punt, do a little pooch punt, back it up, play for overtime, had a really good opportunity to win. As I said, CSU's offense was brilliant this year. You had Grayson playing. He's the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year. You have the Coach of the Year. You have the best wide receiver in the league and a Bolitnikoff finalist. You play, You could play for OT and very likely come away with a win, but McElwain decides to run D-Hart up the middle for no gain. Uh, Air Force takes over, and they, you know, they go on to win the game. They get a six-yard rush. And then they complete a 26-yard pass, and it sets up a game-winning 39-yard field goal as time expires. Rams lose. Man, just one of the brutal decisions. I think part of me feels like Jim McElwain kind of called this game with one foot out the door. Uh, It's no secret that he was kind of talking to bigger programs by this point. And one month later, he ends up accepting the the Florida position, and we're going to kind of talk about that more uh, after the break and just kind of the impact and pros and cons of the McIlwain era as a whole, but I just kind of wanted to set it all up and remind everyone of everything that went down first before we did that. So we'll talk more about this when we come back. It's time to take a second to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Breck recently collaborated with Colorado's own Talbot Cider Company to create an apple blonde ale that tastes like late summer in a glass. Brewed with 49% unprocessed apple cider from the fabled Palisade Grand Valley produce region, Colorado Core has the crisp tart taste of apples with a clean bone-dry finish. Crafted to reduce gluten-free so you won't feel guilty for reaching for a round or two, this crowd-pleaser will be popular at your barbecue, family functions, whatever you're doing. Check it out at your local liquor store or visit Breckenridge Brewery and taste their delicious new creation, Colorado Core. All right, before we talked about the the lasting legacy of the McElwain era and just what resulted from it and whether ultimately it was good or not and all that, I just wanted to kind of set the scene, talk about everything that happened. It went a little longer than expected. Didn't mean to talk about those three seasons for 
25 minutes, but a whole lot happened during that time. So, you know, I don't think it was a problem or anything like that. Uh, but let's just kind of talk about the, the McIlwain legacy as a whole and ultimately whether there'd be a scenario where he'd ever be welcomed back at Fort Collins it's at CSU, likely as head coach or, you know, really in any other in any other capacity. First and foremost, you have to credit Jim McElwain for the success he had. It obviously put CSU football back on the map after what was a really, really just brutal 10 to 15 year stretch for the program. The end of the Sonny Lubick years were not pretty. Sonny definitely struggled at the end. I think just a lot of what they were running was extremely outdated. The play calling became extremely predictable and ultimately it became an ugly situation in the end where the school wanted to move on from Lubick. He didn't feel like he was done and those situations always suck where you have to let go of a legend. You move on to Fairchild. He has the CSU roots, has the blessing from Sonny. It's a little bit of, I think, the athletic department trying to make things right with Sonny. Um, he has high moments and low moments, wins a New Mexico Bowl, the the Garshell Johnson Bowl, as I refer to that game as, but ultimately isn't able to have a whole lot of success. McElwain comes in, takes the program to the next level. They've reached the top 25 for the first time since 02, I believe. Might have been the 01 even. Um, win a ton of games, have success against the rivals. You beat CU, you beat Wyoming, you beat Air Force. All of those things were great. All of these things are undeniable, and it was a lot of fun to be a part of, both as a fan of CSU at the time and then as someone that worked on the staff. It was it was super exciting. We all felt like the program was going you know, places we all felt like the top 25 was going to become kind of the new normal moving forward and that it was just going to be a matter of recovering. You know, I think it was just going to be a matter of, you know, keeping that consistency. But by the time, you know, November 2014 comes around, it becomes pretty clear that uh, that old Jimmy isn't interested in staying in Fort Collins. And that's where things get kind of difficult because, you know, McElwain, when he left, it wasn't a gracious exit. It wasn't a situation where people wished him well, like Tim Miles. He kind of forced CSU's hand with an ex- extremely public courtship uh, with the Florida AD. That whole situation was so weird. Uh, they storm into Fort Collins and meet Jim McElwain at his house. It was very much intentional. They very much knew that it would cause just a media crap storm and really force CSU's hand because what are you going to do at that point bring a coach back that has one foot out the door and wants to leave like you you kind of have to make some type of deal at that point and kudos to CSU for getting you know a significant buyout and establishing that game at Florida and not just letting McIlwain walk all over them but at the end of the day like McIlwain did get what he wanted he forced his way out and he was able to go and it just it, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. When he left for Florida, he didn't take the assistance that helped him achieve a lot of that success. Obviously, I'm biased. I, I knew a lot of those assistants. I knew them well, not just as coaches, but as people. And I had a lot of respect for them. I saw firsthand what they did on a daily basis, how much they contributed and, and led to CSU becoming a success. McElwain deserves a lot of credit, but you know, no, no good coach can do it alone. And you're really only as good as your staff is. And McElwain had a pretty dang good staff 
here at CSU, but he goes down to Florida and originally he's not going to bring anyone. He really had no intentions of bringing anyone from the CSU staff. When, when Scott Frost went from central Florida to Nebraska, he brought his entire staff with him. Now I will say that there's an argument to be made that by taking your whole staff, you're really screwing those kids at UCF extra because not only is the head guy leaving, but all the position coaches, all the assistants, all the people that those players were recruited by, developed relationships with, got to know as people, they all left as well. Uh, but from Scott's, from Scott Frost's perspective, the fact that he rewarded all those dudes and, and valued them and, and just respected what they were doing to help him have this success, I think that was really admirable. And I'm not saying that McElwain needed to bring everyone, but I just thought it was not a good look to treat his assistants the way he did. And, you know, more than that, he didn't even tell anybody what was going on. I think one of the stories that Kelly Lyle told me is that Dave Baldwin actually came into the media room at one point and asked them if they knew what was going on because they hadn't heard. And that certainly matches what I remember it being like in the office during those times. You know, I wasn't in the know. It's not like I would have been the first person to know. I would have been one of the last people to know if McElwain was taking a new job. Uh, but I just remember it being total chaos and people being really stressed out, not knowing what their futures were, not knowing what was going on, not knowing if McElwain was in it for the long haul or not. And I don't know, it just it was not a it was not a good way to to do the people that helped you get to where you were going. So that obviously didn't help. And I think the biggest thing where a lot of CSU fans will never be able to forgive him is just the interview he did on ESPN during halftime of that Las Vegas Bowl didn't help that he left his program in the dust and then they go and lose by 35. They really were outmatched from Utah from the start. They had, they weren't prepared and it just showed it was, it was chaos. I like Dave Baldwin a lot, liked him working with him, but that team was not prepared under him. It was just chaos during those couple of weeks leading up to the bowl game. And ultimately they got their, their butts beat pretty badly and, you know, as we know, a couple days after that, Mike Bobo gets introduced as head coach of CSU, and we're on to the Bobo era. But the McElwain era, certainly interesting, certainly laid the foundation for a lot of what was to come. You know, the the stadium, the improved Under Armour contracts, all that. None of that would have happened without the success from Jim McElwain. You wouldn't have landed a top OC and Mike Bobo is your head coach after. Otherwise, I know it hasn't necessarily uh, worked out the way that the Rams were hoping for under Bobo, but he was considered a, a up and coming and a prominent hire at the time. But would, would Jim McElwain ever be welcomed back? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think you can burn the bridges the way you do and ever be able to come back. I just don't think CSU would they'd ever accept him back. Not, not after the way that he left, not after the way he kind of puffed his chest out and acted like, you know, I'm bigger than CSU. I'm better than you. I'm off to greener pastures. I don't need you so long and all, and all that. But I mean, it's certainly an interesting argument. I think the fans that love McElwain and what he accomplished, I certainly get it. I think the fans that hate him and feel like he's a prick, I get that as well. I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. Like, like most things in life, I think it's not necessarily black and white, and there is a lot of nuance when discussing it, but he obviously had a lot of success. He obviously also rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, so 
that's how it goes sometimes. When I think back to the Jim McElwain era, I definitely will think back to a lot of the wins, but the first thing that will always come to my mind is the way that he left, and part of that is probably because I'm biased in the fact that I worked for the staff, but I think that's how it is with most Ram fans. It's just tough to look at that 2014 season and how negatively it ended and and just you know overlook it, but that's me. If you disagree, certainly let us know. Comment on this on the site. If you're a subscriber, tweet at us, whatever. Let us know what you think. Uh, this was an interesting topic, one that I enjoyed talking about, even though uh, maybe brought up some not-so-great memories for CSU fans. Like I said, though, there were a lot of great moments during the Jim McElwain era, and it's a situation where, even though I definitely know and experienced McElwain's flaws firsthand, uh, I don't necessarily look back at the time negatively, and I definitely think that having him be at CSU, the program was better off for it in the long run uh, than they would have otherwise. So definitely interesting times. We will talk more CSU football this week. I had an article today talking about CSU volleyball, CSU soccer, cross country, some of the other teams. Uh, It was just a really successful weekend for the Rams. So talking more than football here, obviously going to try and get some more basketball content up on the site as well. Uh, But we do still have some time before the regular season here. Uh, The Rams on a bye week this week for football. They will travel to Fresno State. We just found out that that game will kick off at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 4.30 local time, and air on ESPNU. So great kickoff time for CSU fans on that game. I understand some fans maybe not stoked about the fact that it's on ESPNU. That is an upgraded uh, channel to get, but hey, that's how it goes. If they were on ESPN2, it would probably be an 8.30 kickoff, so... You win some, you lose some. That's just how it goes. Try and find a stream on Reddit or something like that. That's what I've had to do with the Avalanche. Uh, Been a weird situation. So We will have plenty of content coming up this week. Thank you to everyone that listened. Thank you to everyone that subscribed. If you are a fan, please, you know, comment, subscribe. Let us know what we do on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, all that stuff. We're, We're wherever you listen to your podcast. So thank you guys, and I hope everyone has a great week. Scummy like Martin Scarelli Turn jam into jelly Then drink it like juice The water's the truth So I sip on that too Skinny looking kid With no car keys Like the only thing I drive Is RCRV He's got the stash Like Steve Harvey Oh I'm gnarly